Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 6, 2021. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Um, so, uh, I think we can say that one of the great medical miracles of all time was the um, development of these three authorized vaccines, uh, two of them using the same technology, Moderna and Pfizer uh, mRNA technology, Johnson & Johnson using a different method. There are There's also the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine that seems to be on the on the I don't know, in the waiting room, on the launch pad, I don't know, whatever analogy you want to give. This all this all happened in unbelievably record time. We have an amazing piece coming out in the magazine, uh, probably end of next week, by Jim Meggs uh, on how this happened and the speed with which it happened and the fact that uh, Moderna, uh, the, dr- the company that's one of the two vaccines, literally came into existence in 2010 because it wanted to make use of mRNA technology or mRNA uh, ideas uh, that this was a new way to find vaccines and cures and things. Uh, It came into existence. uh, It lost a lot of money. It had a big reversal uh, in 2016 on a product that it was trying to bring to market. And that it was, but it was all there, ready and primed. And the minute that this came out and people knew about it, Moderna basically had the vaccine plan in place in 24 hours or 48 hours or something like that. Uh, tasked on a sun, Saturday morning by Monday, they had basically the plan in place. And here we are. Then it was sort of eight months later, and uh, and 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 the, the the vaccination started. It was an amazing achievement. Um, the kind of achievement for which you would think that the world would pay any amount of money to get to this point, right? That's what money is for, right? Is to pay for really necessary goods that are uh, of immense value, unquestionable and immense value, um, with enormous ancillary benefits for everyone. Uh, that is why the news that came down yesterday that the uh, Biden administration is going to violate intellectual property rules and patent law and eight centuries of common law involving it's essentially like the relation of private, <laughs> private entities and the state um, and is going to just sort of lift patent restrictions on, uh, on the uh, vaccines so that they can be... Um, uh, manufactured abroad or manufactured by anybody who wants to manufacture something like that um, is so unbelievably alarming and upsetting. And uh, because it, the profit motive is why we have the vaccines. Moderna exists to make a killing, lost a lot of money on the launch pad, finally got the product, the timing and everything right. And the operation warp speed invented by the Trump administration pre-guaranteed the purchase of the vaccines from these companies, thus providing both the capital and the assurance that if they went into warp speed to produce them, uh, they would be rewarded for their efforts with 
profits and thus and, and and like that. Although it's funny because you know Pfizer announced that it made it made three and a half billion dollars in the last quarter off the vaccines. Pfizer is a one hundred and eighty four billion dollar company. This is not the biggest thing it makes. This is not the this is not the largest amount of money it makes. It's a hundred and eighty billion dollar company. It's a really good product. It's making good money off it. It is not dependent. It's not you know it's 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 a it's a it's a fish in a large aquarium. Uh, the vaccine, uh, and yet it's apparently it's it's patent protection is now going to be uh, taken away. Having having done exactly what was asked, having produced. Uh, the necessary good that is going to bring the world out of this pandemic and particularly the United States out of this pandemic and the reward apparently that it, its stockholders and the company are going to get is to have its intellectual property stripped from it by the uh, federal government. Noah, you are up in arms. Yeah, I'm, I'm seething over this. Um, the near as I can tell, this is one of the fringiest of fringe progressive ideas. Um, House progressives and Bernie Sanders were lobbying for this about a month and a half ago. Um, Bernie Sanders says, we need a people's vaccine, not a profit vaccine, whatever the hell that means, adding and uh, demanding that the administration abrogate property rights in the process. And everybody around this president seemed to be hostile to this insane notion, including Dr. Anthony Fauci, who said it would just be dumb because it's not going to help advance the mission here, which is to get shots into arms. It would just devolve into a protracted legal uh, problem and complicate the existing relationships that these producers already have with overseas manufacturers. Both Pfizer and Moderna have developed these relationships and yet still preserving their fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders in the process. Um, And as far as I can tell, based on the progressive ethos here, the only thought that they have put into this is one, a a genuine, but also manufactured fear of variants and how variants can outpace our capacity, these vaccines capacity to stop them, um, which is not completely invalid, but it's been whipped up by the press because everything we know suggests that these vaccines are perfectly good at that. And the second is that progress must be accompanied with pain. Is that all these people who have delivered us from this from this condition can't make a dime off of it because that's somehow corrupting. There's a million ways we could have done this better, up to and including simply buying the patent rights and making them public domain and thereby reimbursing these firms for the investment that they put into it. But we're doing it in the worst possible way. We're going to sacrifice the opportunity to compete with firms like, or with countries like China and Russia, which are using vaccine diplomacy already with pronounced increased diplomatic clout and soft power capital as a result. Um, We're probably not going to do what we want to do, which is to get vaccines into arms as fast as possible because it's gonna devolve into this frustrating uh, back and forth. And in the process, we're throttling the golden goose here into submission. This technology has the capacity now to deliver us from vac- from from uh, maladies like malaria and dengue fever and Ebola and influenza and even individual cancer therapies and all of that is going to be now put into the in, into jeopardy because we're saying to these manufacturers that you will not recoup your investment that foreign copycats will steal your technology and undercut your price and and prevent you from making the kind of investments, long-term, years-long investments necessary to bring this stuff to market. The federal government didn't just snap this into existence. It did two things. It cut red tape and it promised to pay for the finished product. That's it. Progressives seem to have convinced themselves that they did this. 
and they can do whatever they want with it. And they simply can't. And what they're doing in the process now is hurting Americans, hurting the future that we've invested in, making it less likely that we will have this, this bright future as a result of the innovations of this pandemic. And for what? To satisfy some sort of bizarre pathological need to hurt people who do good things and make a buck off of it. Let's talk about speed, because this is another weird aspect of this. Okay? Obviously, India, these places, they need the vaccines fast, right? They need vaccine supply fast. Here's what Catherine Tai, the U.S. trade representative, said when she announced the administration's position on Wednesday. This is a global health crisis, and the extraordinary circumstances of the pandemic called for extraordinary measures. The administration believes strongly in intellectual property protections, but in service of ending this pandemic, supports the waiver of those protections for COVID-19 vaccines. So it believes strongly in intellectual property, but guess what? Screw intellectual property. Okay, now here's the important part. She added that the United States would participate in negotiations at the WTO over the matter, the World Trade Organization, adding, quote, these negotiations will take time given the consensus-based nature of the institution and the complexity of the issues involved. Well, guess what? That's insane. So all Biden ever wants to do is write checks, right? He wants to write giant checks. So write a $50 billion check, I don't know how much it is, to Moderna and Johnson and & Johnson and, and Pfizer and whatever, and have them ramp up production and ship the stuff abroad because they know how to do this. What we're going to sit at the WTO They already are. They already no, are. This but, is what's madness. But, They're manufacturing it overseas with partnerships are. that are remunerative. Are. I know they are. But here's the, here's the key. Like... This is a race against time. So they're going to sit at the WTO. They're going to have coffee. They'll stop. They'll have the complex, complicated negotiations will take a lot of time. This is not a matter of time. The the, the vaccines are there. There are companies that make them. Pay them to make more. Pay them to make more. Pay them to ramp up their production facilities everywhere. Don't take their property away so that you can sit in international nonsense organizations and blather for three months about this. And even more important, according to the very activists that Noah's talking about, this isn't enough. Okay? Here's the New York Times. Activists have been pressing for the waiver, but have said that a waiver alone will not boost world supply of the vaccine. It must be accompanied by the process known as tech transfer, in which patent holders supply technical know-how and personnel. This is a start, said Greg Gonsalves, a Yale University epidemiologist and longtime AIDS activist who has been pressing for the waiver. We need the writing of the text of this waiver now to be transparent and public, but as we have always said, we need tech transfer now. Tech transfer means, and Noah alluded to this, The whole secret of these vaccines is that they use mRNA, right? They are, or at least Pfizer and and Moderna use mRNA. This is the whole key to their, Moderna is an mRNA company. We are now saying that according to what, what this guy is saying and what may yet happen is that U.S. law will not only strip Moderna of its intellectual property and this amazing achievement that, that, that it, but it is now going to teach other places, other companies, how to do what Moderna figured out how to do and steal its future. That's the end of Moderna. 
Moderna, which just did this world historical, life-changing, life-saving thing for which it deserves to be rewarded and everybody who invested in it deserves to get rich, is actually going to be destroyed by this idea. And you think if this company is going to take it lying down, its chief priority now is not that vaccine manufacturer, but to save itself from being killed by the United States government and to pay for the expense of its own ex- execution. Uh, okay, but here's no where I disagree with you. What makes you think that this is a fringe idea on the left? I think that the sentiment, the general sentiment, um, that big pharma, that industry generally um, is um, uh, a force for evil and um, should be taken down a peg if not punished um, entirely. I think that is a very widespread sentiment on the left. Yeah, no argument there. I've been following this this idea for some time. I've written about it in the blog a couple of times, actually. Uh, and to the extent that it got any traction when it was introduced by these fringy congressional leaders, it just it was only among themselves. It was summarily dismissed by people among the administration up to, and I said, including Dr. Anthony Fauci, who talked to the Financial Times about this not too long ago, I think it was like a week ago, saying that this was a dumb idea. I mean, it was it was it was introduced as a signal that this administration, far left as it is, was not friendly to this idea. It turns out that they are. So maybe you have a real, a real point there. But from everything that I saw, even most Democrats were hostile to this notion. I think the weird part of this story, and Christina, I want I want, I want to hear you sort of weigh in on this point, is um, India obviously is going through this crucible. And uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago, there started to be this drumbeat. What are we going to do for India? How are we going to help India? How are we going to save India? What's the story about India? And just as we said for from 2019 onward, that the Biden people uh, had run a brilliant campaign because they had a plan and they had a track that they were on and they were not going to be stirred from it, clearly the news bounces them every five seconds now that now that he is in office so four or five news stories about what the hell we're going to do for india causes a gigantic rift in uh in in the logic that led to the creation of these vaccines and the distribution of these vaccines and the implementation of the vaccine program in the united states and what's more elsewhere but this is in where Israel and in the UK, where the vaccine rollout has led basically to herd immunity and the killing of COVID. All of that was because Boris Johnson and, and Bibi Netanyahu made deals with the pharma companies that said, give us the vaccines. We will prepay you. We will be your guinea pigs, whatever. We are going to accept a profit motive as an important element here. And we'll work, we'll do this together. This is a validation, a a the actual ultimate validation of the value of the profit motive and using it to further the interests of humanity. And and Biden sees four news stories about how America isn't helping India enough, or Tony Blinken or whoever, and here we are. But see, I think there's I think that's true, but I also think there's a broader uh point to 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 go back to something Abe just said, which I think is important. What they did in responding to that is tap into something that is widely popular on the left and not just the progressive left. And we're seeing it in, certainly we've been talking a lot about it in the domestic context, but this is an example in the, in the global context of the Biden administration punishing success in the name of equity, 
Because when you talk about why doesn't India have the vaccine, why don't countries in Africa getting the vaccine, you're talking about global equity, right? So that's where the West is the bad guy because we have to, we have we hoard resources and we need to we need to spread the spread the vaccine, spread the money, spread the wealth uh, globally. But to do that and to justify doing that in this way, instead of taking a path that, as you say, John, rewards profit and 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 encourages uh, future development and risk risk taking by these companies, they're just going to take it. And they're going to say, this is equity, right? So we're doing our part for global equity. And that's why we'll go to the WTO and, and spend all this time hashing out our, our principles and whatnot. And I think that concerns me almost more than the kind of immediate, I mean, the, the intellectual property uh, grab is, is very concerning. And it's not just, it shouldn't concern only uh, pharmaceutical companies. If you're a big tech company and you're seeing what the Biden administration is doing with regard to intellectual property, you should be very concerned. That is not, it's, it's a kind of, total abuse of emergency powers. They're using that rhetoric, but I think this is a this is laying a path for, for more mischief down the line. But the equity point, I think, is the thing that, as Abe was saying, is much more widespread and, and embraced uh, than perhaps it should be. I mean, uh, when we are talking about um, uh, pharmaceuticals, this is, we're, we're in a kind of weird reverse antimatter, bizarro world version of 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 the of the of the anti-colonialist ideas, right? So the idea of the the idea that colonialism was evil because these small countries from Europe went to Africa and Asia and other places and harvested their resources, took stuff from their ground and stole it. They stole, you know, uh, re they stole resources, they stole minerals, they stole oil, they stole whatever. And they also stole antiquities and, you know, the, the Elgin marbles or whatever. And they, they stole it because they didn't have it themselves. So they went out and they got it and, and, and took it, right? This is our intellectual property is the West's minerals, goods, and services, right? That, that, is, that is our, that's the version of what we have that other people don't have. This is our treasure. This is our national treasure. Things like the patents on these vaccines, they don't belong to the country because that is not how America works. They do not belong to the country. The country has a series of rules, rules of law, free markets, and, you know, and investment capital and all of that that allow, that make it possible for private enterprises to create intellectual property that then turns into manufacture that then saves lives and 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 not only saves lives but ex but extends life cures health all of that stuff and we are now in some bizarre fit of we are now allow it we are going to allow the world to strip mine our treasure for what we it's our and we're doing it to ourselves are, the president of the United States is doing this. And by the way, I'm not sure that he actually has the power. We, we, he's announced this. I mean, I, oh, I don't this know. Is going, this is going to be in court for a very long right. time. Okay. And right. these firms are going to fight for their very existence with every fiber of their being. Right. All to the detriment of our shared objective. That's right. I mean, I think that's, and, you know, the, there, that's the, the broad point here that shouldn't get lost. Yeah, it is entirely true, of course, John, as you say, that um, part of what's happening here is um, this is ours or this is uh, these companies and, and, you, and you can't just take it. Um, but the other aspect of this, and this is um, bears repeating because this comes up again and again in discussions about intellectual property and capitalism and socialism throughout history. When you do this, 
you will get the life-saving technology to people less efficiently. It, it will cost in, 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 in terms of actual humanitarian concerns. Um, also, can I just point out that um, the Pfizer vaccine does not belong to Pfizer alone. The Pfizer vaccine was developed in conjunction with a German company called BioNTech. How does the United States president have the power to seize the patent on something that is not entirely owned by by an American company? I mean, Pfizer's in New Jersey. BioNTech is not in New Jersey. I don't know what the ins and outs of the law are, but I do know that this is a more complicated case. But what Abe said is very important. In the 1980s and 1990s, uh, liberals and the left developed a brilliant strategy to uh, demonize uh, for, uh, you know, like legitimately, let's say, to demonize the tobacco companies uh, for producing uh, health-risking, cancer-causing products um, and using the courts and means by that to turn them into villains and to then uh, have them basically strip mine, taxed, uh, made their uh, distribution of their goods more difficult and all of that. And that was a systematic effort to say these companies, which were, of course, incredibly profitable, largest, one of the, some of the largest companies in America, you know, uh, ideal stock purchases for long range holding and all of that were evil. They were bad and they were evil. They were doing something evil and it's terrible. And it was wildly successful, right? Uh, tort lawyers made hundreds of millions of dollars off these cases. And then they turned to pharmaceuticals. And if you actually think about it, this is a fascinating turn. Because if the idea is that tobacco companies kill people, the virtue of pharmaceutical companies is that they heal people and they save people, right? Except every now and then something really bad happens. Something goes wrong. A drug, a drug, you know, a drug, it turns out, has long-range terrible consequences for thus and such or whatever, right? Or uh, the approval was, was flawed, something like that. But those are exceptions, not the rule. Uh, these companies are healers. Yeah, Purdue Pharma did something terrible in the way it marketed uh, OxyContin, and we can talk about that as a separate issue. But OxyContin is not an evil. Its use, its overuse, its abuse is an evil. Oxycontin is a painkiller that helps people who are in severe pain as long as the use of it is regulated and they don't get addicted to it. So you now have the left, liberals and the left, turning pharmaceutical companies, which are which are arguably the summit of the worth of capitalism. They exist to make money, and what is the good that they are providing? They are providing fewer heart attacks because of statins, uh, less anxiety because of Prozac, uh, erectile success because of Viagra, uh, hair growing because of Rogaine. I don't know. Name 50,000 uh, statins, this, that, the other. Like it's, These are unbelievable um, achievements in, in human potential and growth. This is the best of capitalism, and that is why they want to destroy it. That's my that's my pro- and just you know as as an aside, it's worth reminding our um, anti free market, common good conservative friends on the right here who who have been railing against capitalism now in recent years, um, uh, beat this common good. Uh, who who who's, who's done who's done more for for the common good than than the pharmaceutical com- pharmaceutical companies this time. But they also I mean, okay, don't so, believe yes. 
Yeah. They also don't believe that profit, revenue, general, mm-hmm. you know, uh, general rewards for the people who deliver us from that condition are are associated with it. It for for that type of personality, progress must be accompanied with pain. Mm-hmm. It must be self-sacrifice, and the self-sacrifice is the point, in fact, because how else do you achieve this transcendent? spiritual experience that should be associated with your political uh, affinities. It can't, you can't, it can't be a rewarding experience. But it's not your pain. No, it it's has to be your pain. pain. It has, it's, it's not a Bernie Sanders' pain. pain. It's not Bernie Sanders' pain. What does he care? What does he care? You expropriate somebody else's property as long as your property is not being expropriated. You know what's the problem? Is 20 years from now, when Bernie Sanders' son has some disease that Moderna could have cured and Moderna is on the trash heap of history because of what happened today. That's the problem, is Bernie Sanders' grandson, not Bernie Sanders. What does he care? Après moi le, le déluge. Let's shut all these things down and, and, the, and the consequences of it. He'll be dead. What does he care? Yeah, what they also AOC, don't believe in a know, growing pie, though, like from economics innovation. Right. It's, all, it's always finite... And it's time to divvy up your share now while you can. Well, and this this feeds into the what what has been growing uh, for some time now and, and has been embraced both by, as Abe said, the common good conservatives, but also the progressive left of sort of ethical capitalism. Right. Uh, which which can embrace all of these new regulations and restrictions that we need to combat climate change and, and to ensure racial equity and to make sure women have enough opportunities. Like it's basically hoovering up all of the social justice narratives that everyone's to see while trying to maintain its own dignity as, as a capitalistic enterprise. But there come these moments and this one with the vaccines are one and we'll have many more down the line where you simply they simply cannot be uh, reconciled because the profit motive is going to have one set of goals and needs and demands and an equity uh, outcome is not going to allow for that to uh, be reconciled. I mean, look, you know, one of the bizarre things about what Biden is, is has been up to with the uh, with the gigantic infrastructure leg- legislation and spending, right, is um, he is saying we have a once in a lifetime chance to de- put a down payment on the future or whatever. So we spent all this money in 2020. Why? And and there was a, a, a national consensus, bipartisan consensus, no complaints about this because something happened that had never happened before, which is that uh, much of the world economy and certainly much of the American economy was shut down from above by of necessity because of the need to try to save millions of lives from a pandemic. And suddenly there's, you know, multi-double digit unemployment and, you know, the economy craters by a third and all this stuff happens. And it's like, we got to do something. This is why we're rich. We're rich because when you hit a calamity like this, you use your wealth to pull you out of, you know, uh, if you're starting to fall into a sinkhole, you have the means and resources to get yourself out of the sinkhole. Everybody agreed once in a life, you know, this was the once in a lifetime thing. So we spent the money and nobody complained. PPA, you know, this and that. Some people said, oh, we don't really have, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. And it's like, we have to, we're bailing out, you know, the boat, there's the boat of Springer League. You have to like, you got to put out the fire. You've got to empty, you've got to bail out the boat, however you want to, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use, right? Uh, so we did it and we spent the money on the vaccines and we spent the money on PPA and all of that. And the economy is about to, is, is, is in the, is, uh, is now on the verge of, if it hasn't already started exploding, right? 
Now, here's the story. Let's spend $4 trillion because we can, though we don't need to anymore, as unemployment will probably get to levels, assuming that we're not just paying people to be out of work forever, which they sort of want to do. Unemployment will probably get to descend to levels that it was in 2019. The economy is going to grow at a pace that it hasn't seen in seven decades. And you know what else we'll do? So we'll we'll spend four trillion dollars. And you know what else we'll do? We'll we'll take the patents away from the very people who made all of this possible, from the companies that made all of this possible. Um, I say this logic either this logic doesn't stand in the long run, and that the cognitive dissonance of what's going on here is going to bite back hugely. Or the soul sickness that a lot of us have seen at work in the 21st century is really coming home to roost in that one of the two major political parties has now gotten completely separated from an elementary understanding of, of, of actual fairness, of actual, of, how, of, of actual human motivations, and of how you're supposed to conduct yourself normally in a normal day-to-day society. And that's the test. Well, that uh, is a huge Biden- risk for this administration, a huge risk, because this is very likely to be held up in the courts, if not completely abrogated by lower courts. So it'll just be appealed and appealed forever. And in the process, the Biden administration is going to have to defend this abject Bolshevism. Um, there's, a, there's another aspect to this, I think, that's worth mentioning, which is that it's not just about punishing uh, Big Pharma here. Um Part of what stripping the intellectual property away does is that, see, what's actually happened is that despite all the criticism and all the hatred for the U.S. and everything else, the U.S. is leading the world out of this um, in a very real way. It's not uh, Australia um, because they've just shut down because it's easy for them to shut down because no one's going to go there or New Zealand um, where they're not even uh, uh, vaccinating at any significant rate. The U.S. with this technology um, has led the world out of this, and that is an extraordinary achievement. Um, and if you take that away from us, you 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 shut down that case. We can go back to being terrible. But I mean, look, the whole point is, if you want to look at the possible, unbelievably successful application of soft power, it would be that we go to we go to Pfizer, we give them money. They, they produce three times the amount of vaccine that they're producing now, and we send it abroad with an American flag on every vial. And that's what China and Russia have been doing. And this is the dog right. that is embarking. Why aren't these progressives demanding that Sinovac surrender its intellectual property? Why isn't the Sputnik vaccine targeted by these progressives? And we all know that the answer is because they don't care about Russian or Chinese diplomacy, soft diplomacy, hard diplomacy, whatever. They want to undermine the United States and its capacity to produce and innovate and lead the world because it's the United States that's suspect. And also, not coincidentally, those vaccines are bad by comparison. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Now, you know what's important is all of this speaks to this question of the spiritual health of the United States in the course of and as it emerges from the pandemic and the test that we are facing about what kind of country we are going to be how this will have affected us. And I, I want to commend to you in particular uh, Dan Senor's new post-corona podcast. You've heard me talk about post-corona. It's the podcast that Dan 
the author of Startup Nation, uh, member of Commentaries uh, Board, um, uh, you know, an investor, uh, an into public intellectual, fascinating guy, started six months ago to sort of ask the question: What is what is the world going to look like post Corona? And his new his new podcast, which just dropped. And if you subscribe, should be in your feed. And if you don't, go subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Is about Israel. He was in Israel last week and the week before last. And he and he, it's a kind of documentary of uh, a portrait of Israel as it emerge explodes out from the pandemic as a result of achieving herd immunity. And he talks to fashion designers, uh, restaurateurs, uh, academics, and um, and in particular, a uh, most fascinating conversation, um, uh, TV producer Donna Stern, who is kind of like the executive behind Fauda and a lot of the great Israeli television produced by the Yes Network. And uh, what what you hear and what you see, what 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 you are is provided by this podcast is a, is a sense of of Israel as as a as a self confident, young, vibrant, exciting country that saw the end of this pandemic as a way to shoot forward. And as Donna Stern says, it's like po- how in podcasts you can speed up the time that you listen to it, right? You can listen to it at normal speed. You can listen to it at, at one and a half or two. And she said the minute that basically it was clear that the pandemic was over, Israel went to one and a half or two. Uh, there's traffic, insane traffic, lines at clubs everywhere, people out about hugging, kissing, you know, like all in with uh, enthusiasm, vigor, vim. Despite their political crisis, you know, Bibi Netanyahu is now uh, caretaker prime minister as as somebody else tries to form a government. You know, there's a political crisis. He's under siege, and there's a you know there was a terrible tragedy at at Maron uh, last week. Horrible situation. But this is a young, vibrant, upbeat country that is handling this the way you would want the United States to behave. Are we going to behave like that? Are we going to follow Israel's example? Listen to Dan's post-corona podcast this week, hear what it's like there, and then ask yourself, is this the moral test case for the United States? If we are the United States that we all wish, I think everybody, we all wish, and I think a lot of our listeners wish, were the United States of of old and your and and, and eternally, uh, it will behave in much this fashion. And if we are not, if we have moved beyond that, if we become sclerotic and depressed and basically now uh, a kind of cannibalistic, we're now cannibalizing our past and our, 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 our glories and our, and our, you know, we're cannibalizing ourselves. Um, we're not. And therefore, even with economic growth and all of that, and therefore spiritually, we're going to, a lot is going to be revealed about what happens over the next year. And so please listen to Dan's post-corona podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever it is. Uh, It's illuminating and it is, I think, very, very, very suggestive of something that we should talk about right now. And I will move on to that, which is, guess what? The New York Times has declared the pandemic over. This morning it declared the pandemic over. I'm so excited. Basically, it announced that we've turned a corner. And you know how we know we've turned a corner? Because... Uh, Michael Osterholm, otherwise known as Dr. Doom, this guy in Minnesota who basically said that, you know, it's two, uh, 250 trillion people were going to die in three days uh, every every six minutes. 
according to him. He has said that we are clearly turning the corner. Why? Because Michigan, uh, where the big outbreak was, uh, is now the hospitalizations are falling. Um, Wisconsin and West Virginia have reported zero new coronavirus deaths. I think I mentioned yesterday that uh, Los Angeles County had reported zero coronavirus deaths. We, we had 40,000 cases yesterday, I believe, and uh, uh, new cases uh, down from 50 or around 50. And, uh, and so uh, this is the story. Um, so that's great that the New York Times has now declared the coronavirus uh, over, uh, uh, just in time for the vaccines to be stolen. But okay, so what do we, what do we make of this? Is this a turning point that the, you know, that the uh, liberal leader of, uh, of, of liberal consensus in liberal America has, has basically put its hand up and said, you know what, let's go. Well, n- nothing has really changed since it was only a month ago <clears throat> that the same uh, Michael Osterholm said, we are certainly already in the start of a fourth wave of the virus. And this one is worse because we will see more children get sick and die in this one. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know what's changed. I hate to be the skunk at this garden party, John, but I, I don't. The, the inconsistency of public health messaging has been the only consistent thing about this pandemic. And he's going to turn that corner and see a scary variant and run screaming back, you know, to, to fear mongering. Would that that's certainly a possibility? I think with these guys. Uh, you know, this happens, and then a couple of days ago, uh, in, in something that has thrown every parent that I know, um, who who basically comes at this somewhat from the pr- perspective of we do, and remember, we are not, we were not coronavirus, you know, skeptics, uh, any of us here. We were not skeptics. We believed that there needed to be a significant, robust response. We believed in uh, some of the lockdowns and shutdowns and all of that. But the CDC issued guidance on summer camping. That is insane. We're calling it, it cruel, cruel summer in our house. <laughs> I mean, it is insane beyond belief. And this is the this is the CDC. This is the this is the you know the Centers for Disease Control announcing that children outside in ninety degree weather needed to be put in pods and not interact with other people outside. They needed to wear masks all day and night if they were around each other. And I'm going to remind you again. I'm going to remind people, I couldn't find this number. Abe and I were looking for it. I couldn't find it. I don't know. 32 million people have been infected with the coronavirus in the United States. It is very hard to find an age breakdown on, on, on that, right? Like how many people in what age group have gotten it? However, here's what we know. 565,000 deaths in the United States from coronavirus. I'm going to, I'm going to say this again. How many of those are between the ages of 0 and 18? Anybody got the number? 277 children do not get do not get violently sick from the coronavirus uh they don't and and what's more my guess is that you know if you were to go down i i don't know because it's impossible to tell but if you were to go say below the age of 13 not only has almost no one died but if you were actually to be able to get that breakdown of, of demo, you know, age breakdown of who gets the disease out of that 32 million, you have to figure out that it must be commensurately small uh, to that same percentage, the 277 out of 565,000. And yet, the Centers for Disease Control is telling summer camps that kids need to mask up 
And liberal parents, as we know from uh, stories in the Washington Post and stuff, are refusing to allow their fully vaccinated, their the fully vaccinated grandparents to visit their kids because they still think that maybe the fully vaccinated grandparents will ooze through their membranes, some kind of uncaught corona that doesn't affect them, but spits out at their children, penetrates their skins and kills them. And this is why I say we are facing a spiritual test unlike any that I think we have seen, certainly in our lifetimes. And maybe maybe since, you know, I don't know, the Great Depression or something like that. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Who are these people? Children need to be able to get outside and play in the summer without having to breathe through a piece of paper or a piece of cloth when there is no risk to them. Well, there and when, is no and, risk and to when them. the adults who are who are running these camps uh, as administrators and counselors are themselves fully vaccinated, it is ludicrous. And it's actually, I'm sorry, the blame for this lies squarely with Joe Biden. The buck stops there. This is his administration now. This is his CDC. He could put a stop to this tomorrow with one public statement. And the fact that they are not doing that tells you everything about how they're trying to kind of uh, triangulate around all of these different proclamations. Because the other thing that happened yesterday is that all the media was congratulating Joe Biden for having kept his promise of reopening schools in the first hundred days, which is ridiculous and a lie. He has not reopened schools. There's been a tiny uptick in the number of kids who have some in-person learning nationwide since he took office. But, you know, about half the kids in this country still aren't getting a regular five-day-a-week in-person education. And, and that's not entropic. No. Because of this administration exactly. that that condition is persistent. Exactly. So I, I lay the blame on him and more people should do that. And if you run a camp, if you're there were camps even last summer that ran safely where kids didn't get sick and the adults who ran them didn't get sick. If you run a camp in this country, run your camp. Like I literally dare the CDC to come and, you know, confiscate your, your camp license because the kids are running around outside. This is very important. There's a camp in Maine. It's called Moden. My kids don't go there, but a bunch, but a lot of people I know have their have their kids there. And Howie Salzberg, who runs the camp, spent six months, uh, you know, five months, like night after figuring out how he could open Moden. Uh, and what they figured out was that the camp is a quarantine. You go to camp, close the gates. The personnel, the people who work at the camp don't leave. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, camp counselors and stuff usually want to go into town one day a week to get ice cream and go to the movies or stuff. They couldn't leave. And this was last summer. There were no vaccines. <clears throat> we had just been through <clears throat> the New York spike, the, you know, the horrible uh, death toll in New York, where a lot of campers are from. He opened the camp. The camp ran for six weeks. And nobody got sick, and they had a they had a coronavirus. T- I mean, a couple of people got sick. They had a coronavirus, you know, tent. They had a place for people to isolate, and all of that. And that was last summer. There are models to follow. The CDC is behaving in a fashion that I can only describe as evil. And why are they doing it? Because once again, as was true with the Johnson and Johnson pause. They are defaulting to their own comfort zone, which is when in doubt, say no. When in doubt, say, don't do this, don't do that. Don't do the other thing. Don't take this. Stop doing Johnson & Johnson because six people out of seven million got a clot. And if you're going to go to summer camp, which you maybe you shouldn't even do, make sure that a five-year-old wears a mask and can only play with four other kids. 
outside and going in the what are they going to do when they go in the lake are they supposed to are they supposed to wear masks in the lake they get this these people are terrible this is this is actually terrible huh i'm sorry they get dispensation to not mask up when they're swimming or when they're sleeping or when they're eating however you are supposed to maintain six feet of distance from your nearest uh anybody when you're doing any of these activities I thought that the distance was three feet now because apparently three feet, three feet when you're masked, three feet. three feet when you're masked and doing activities, <laughs> six feet when you're unmasked and doing nothing other than breathing. Um, and I think Christine's right. I mean, I think basically, <clears throat> but this is why I'm saying there's a broader issue here, a broader spiritual issue. Who are we? I mean, you know, we have a lot of the sort of the vaccine skeptics and people like that who I think have evoked this idea, but done so in a false way using false information. And we now have Tucker Carlson like saying, you know, if you're if you're forced to get vaccinated, this country has become a fascist state, you know, sitting there fully vaccinated himself. I mean, the hypocrisy is just sickening. But they're evoking something, which is these people are telling everybody to live in fear, to treat everybody else as though they are a potential infector to treat your fellow citizens and the people around you and the people in your ambit as though they can kill you. And this is not a way to live. This is not a way that we can profitably, profitably or even, you know, like healthily interact and go on with life. This idea that everybody is going to work from home. Let's just, let's just even, you know, talk about this. Oh my God, it's a revolution. People are going to, no one's going to want to go back to work. Kids who are really the people are dying from loneliness. People are dying spiritually from the lack of of, of interaction. That's what I see in New York City, where I think only 20% of people are back in offices. That's why everybody who is vaccinated is still walking around in masks. They're in some kind of paralytic emotional condition that has been caused by the trauma of living through this for a year. And if they don't break out of it, and remember, these are people who have an outsized effect on everybody else. They're bankers, they're, 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 they're lawyers, they're businessmen, they're media people, all of that. If they don't break out of this, we are going to live in the doldrums I, I, you know, for a very long time. And we are, you know, we've already infected our children because of all this with depression, anxiety eating disorders, suicidal ideation, all this stuff that is going on that we know has has has, has gotten to epidemic levels. How are we going to deal with this if our the leaders of our country are feeding the beast, feeding the neurotics, feeding the neurosis? Well, and that and it does leave the field unfortunately. We don't see a lot of leadership um uh, responsible leadership pushing back on this at all. I mean, you do see you see some, you know, public health people being quoted in, in news stories saying this is ridiculous. This is cruel. I mean, many of them actually did call the new mandates for summer camp that the CDC issued cruel to children, literally cruel. These are public health experts themselves. So you do have some pushback. But what we don't have is any political leadership on the other side. And that's the vacuum that unfortunately Tucker Carlson is filling with his bilge about, you know, vaccine skepticism. So um, I feel like there is there's a need uh, for some political leadership here, too. I mean, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis in Florida, in some sense, has done that, at least, uh, you know, in, in his ambit. But 
uh, who's doing that? Who, who's challenging this on a regular basis and in, in, in a way that people can respond to and listen to that isn't kind of crazy conspiracy theorizing? What what gets me uh, crazy about this is that um, the the state of affairs that, John, you describe <clears throat> that this sort of national paralysis, this emotional paralysis is very real um, and it is um, very destructive. And when you push back on the CDC guidance and things like that, the response from people who want to continue observing it is merely, what's the big deal? It's just a mask. You can't wear a mask. It's the big deal. Why is everyone freaking out over a mask? No, it's not just a mask. It is an entire state of normal yeah. reality that is that has been absolutely taken off the table. Yeah, uh, um, our friend Robert Pondicio said on on Facebook the other day that he had heard somebody say that the mask is for liberals, what the MAGA hat was for Trumpers. It is now, it is now, it is now a political, socio cultural political message about who you are, where you live. And I can tell you that it is real. There is no question. I mean, I'm living in a place where everybody has been vaccinated and is still wearing a mask. Now, some of it is, as I said yesterday, you know, I had to go to a shiva and you sort of wear a mask because you don't know who else would be freaked out if you don't wear a mask. But even that, you know, so so sort of virtue, anti-virtue signaling by taking your mask off very pointedly it wasn't my event. It was somebody else's, you know, t- tragic family moment. And I wasn't going to make a, you know, make a spectacle of myself somehow if that's what was going to happen. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's it, it, it's just a, a bad state of affairs and it gives me a pain in the back. And that's why we got to tell you to get the X chair, uh, you know, which I'm sitting in right now, as my friends can see here on on our uh, on our Squadcast camera. Um, enjoying the new XHMT technology that provides heat and massage therapy while I'm sitting at my desk while enjoying the dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to my lower back. The XHMT delivers heat and massage technology to my core, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy with four different massage modes. So instead of my old uncomfortable office chair, I spend hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. You won't believe the X chair difference until you feel the X chair difference for yourself. Trust me, this is the luxury supercar of office chairs. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com now and use code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters, xchaircommentary.com. So... Uh, I have a column in the New York Post today that uh, sort of speaks of, uh, rose out of themes we talked about in yesterday's podcast that Christine just alluded to, which is uh, when when does Biden start getting held accountable for the things that he has done since he is president? And I would say the most notable of those in, in relation to the coronavirus, as we as we have said, is not, you know, his 100-day plan or whatever, anything like that, which, uh, you know, which, of course, was the under-promise and over-deliver strategy but the but the Johnson and Johnson vaccine pause and there is a real 
which of course seems to have punched the heart out of the momentum that was being enjoyed by the vaccination regime. As more and more people got vaccinated, it appeared that more and more people were falling off the vaccine hesitancy list because they saw everybody else do it and it therefore became something that other people did. Uh, we've reached like more than 50% of Americans vaccinated and then it just hit a cliff. And now, you know, yeah, we're still like fewer than a, a million new doses a day. Um, I understand the media is doing is going to block and tackle. I understand the media is thrilled in, in various ways by this. Um, but, you know, he can't escape for long. You know, I mean, he, he's not Trump. And, of course, he really benefits from, like, the fight with Liz Cheney and all of that, Trump, because the more Trump emerges in the news, the more his contrast, the reason that people really made him president is ever present. Like, oh my God, he's back. Oh my God, he's issuing press releases. Oh my God, he's, you know, screaming at Liz Cheney, whatever. But, you know, he is the president and he will remain the president and these decisions are his decisions. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think you are seeing signs of Democrats voting with their feet from the House and various other things going on that are very suggestive of this uh, uh sense that they have that this is a very precarious political situation they're in. I mean, that's what's generating this corner turning concept, right? In the press, we've been witnessing vaccination rates decline to precipitously since April 13th, now down to pretty much half of where they were at the peak and now roughly where they were at the, at the end of March. And so what are they doing? They're doing what we said they would have to do at a certain point, declare, make an arbitrary metric at which point we could declare ourselves emerging from the woods, but, as it were. But now, but they, but so for the Biden administration, that's the 4th of July, right? We were all like, you know, laughing about how he just sort of unilaterally declared we'll all be independent of COVID again, you know, by July 4th. But the strange thing is that, of course, reality has thankfully, uh, until the, the Johnson Johnson pause, was tracking well ahead of that. But there was this strange need to kind of, because the narrative says July 4th, we've got to still keep finding things to keep you sort of locked up until we get to the big celebration when all the fireworks can go off. And it's it's become surreal if you're following this daily like we do, to see the, the strain and attempt, particularly among elite media outlets, to, to keep it going. But also there's a lot of evidence that they shouldn't be. And I, the camp, the summer camp thing is a perfect example of that, like how that's handled by the press and how they're messaging out of the White House these weird restrictions that don't seem to comport with the we're turning the corner message. So they've got another couple months of this. I mean, are we going to, are they going to really keep this going? I don't know. You know, we always say that <clears throat> the secret to presidencies is what, what happens when they have to deal with uh, crises that are, that, 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 that emerge unexpectedly. You could almost say that this vaccine, uh, this, uh, this decision to uh, seize the patents uh, from the vaccines is itself maybe one of the, this and the Johnson and Johnson vaccine pause are the two things that came up unexpectedly that they have handled in a way that will redound very much to their discredit. And there's more to come. I mean, one of the interesting aspects of, of the coronavirus itself is that of course it put pause on a lot of things that might, might've, might've happened, uh, international crises that might've happened as the world kind of uh, felt itself uh, paralyzed um, that's going to stop in, in, in pretty short order, I think, at some point. And then, then, then we're going to see how they, how they respond. As I say, I think the campaign showed that they had a, when they have a long-term strategy that is sensible and sound and, and, and prudent and reasonable, and they stick to it, they can have great success. But they are much more inconstant 
and much more um, uh, affected by the news and headlines and things like that than I would have expected. And, and, and that is a bad sign for, for leadership. So with that, we will say adieu till tomorrow. For Abe, Christina, no, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.